Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. Julie, what's your relationship with spice? Mmm, I'm really sensitive to it. Yeah? Do yeah. you prefer sort of the blander uh, taste, the blander cuisine, or... No, I don't like bland cuisine, but I can't take like you know how you get the little the the menus with the, like the one mild chili pepper and two. Oh yes, I just feel like I'm so sensitive to it. If I I can can't really go beyond that one mild pepper. Hmm. Well, I I like some spice, uh, but but I agree there's there's a limit for me because uh, in my experience, just among the people I know, there there seem to be essentially three types of individuals. So okay. the, the the people who just are really adverse to spices. And just really don't want anything messing with their their palate, spice wise. Then there there are people like me who are a little adventurous with the spice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are the, the the individuals. And I I seem to think Jonathan Strickland, uh, our coworker, is one of of these who will just go for the throat, like just throw me something just really spicy. Yeah, I want to try the hottest spice uh, imaginable. If you have a hot sauce that is new and dangerous, let me try it out. And um, yeah, I just can't go for that because it just ends up tasting like pain. Well, what I noticed too, and I, maybe this is just something that my my gingered husband, ginger-headed husband, does like a redhead thing, but he will break out in the sweats, mm. and he gets really euphoric too. Or yeah, maybe now that's does he he like the spice or is he advert? He loves it. Okay, see, I've seen that before uh, with uh, with people I know who are crazy into the spice. They have this. Intense bodily reaction to yeah. it, where so you're like, why do you love it so much? Because you look like you were just maced. Yeah, exactly. Or pepper sprayed, yeah. right? Which is a pepper. I mean, I mean, yeah. That gets down to, I and mean, one of the uh, the key ideas we're talking about in this episode is that that spices are are chemical weapons that we've oh. uh, we've hijacked and manipulated and used for for other purposes. Indeed, and uh, spices have have really taken uh, quite the position, I guess you could say, over the last 400 years. And we sort of take it for granted now. If you want some nutmeg, you just take it out of your cupboard, right, and just spread it on your food. But four centuries ago, the only nutmeg trees to be found fringed Run Island in the Band of Sea, which is now what we know of as eastern Indonesia. And the Dutch, they so badly wanted to secure <laughs> those nutmeg trees that they killed off like a good amount of people. Yes. This is like genocide for these nutmeg trees. And we forget this. We forget that this, these, uh, the spice trade really shaped empires and, um, some, some were built and destroyed on spices. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of, uh, difficult to overstate the importance of spices in, uh, in human history and the establishment of trade routes. Uh, and also just in cultural identity of a, of a, of a place. You think of any, mm-hmm. any particular part of the world, you think about their cuisine, you end up thinking about their spices, both indigenous spices and spices that ended up coming from outside, uh, sources and ended up becoming a, a part of, uh, of their identity. I mean, for instance, you look at, uh, at Thai cuisine, like there are elements of Thai cuisine that, uh, that obviously are, are ingrained within the culture prior to outside interference, but then there are there are elements that uh, that came through via the Portuguese, uh, and those just become a part of the the national culinary identity. And that identity was something that we've been adding to over and over again, only because as hunter gatherers, as people who could become agriculturally minded and really master fire, we could begin to concentrate on how we would cook our food and how we would flavor our food. 
Yeah, now I want to, I, I do want to preface and say that when it comes to understanding the history of, uh, of humans and spice, um, it, it's difficult to, uh, to develop a, you know, really definitive answers. It's one of those things that's ultimately kind of lost to prehistory. We have some archaeological evidence that we'll get into, uh, but, uh, but there are a few different ways of looking at this. Now, um, if you travel back in time though, you go back around 10,000 years, you, uh, you, and you go past that point, you will, Find an age before the agricultural revolution. To your point, this is uh, this is when we were hunter gatherers, right? As uh, Harold McGee points out in On Food and Cooking, uh, we be- benefited from a quote unquote diverse yet chancy diet. So you never knew what your next meal might consist of. It might be dandelion leaves and a squirrel. It might be nuts and berries. Mm-hmm. A lot of different stuff was coming in, but there was there was no dependency there. Um, but then we learned to grow. We learned to cultivate. We uh, we settled down to an agrarian lifestyle in the same way the, that an unruly bachelor or bachelorette might, uh, if the spirit moves them, eventually settle into monogamous relationship. Uh, they trade variety and adventure for dependability. So we turned uh, to the concentrated energy and protein of rice, wheat, corn, and barley. Uh, but it, it, just as it was dependable, it was also kind of boring, right? Mm-hmm. The flavors were few and predictable, uh, but we still had a nose and a sense of taste that evolved uh, for the wild and uh, for the hunting and gathering. Uh, we had not changed into a different organism, even though we had found a new way to obtain uh, these vital nutrients. Uh, but we didn't want to return to that old lifestyle, right? I mean, we didn't want to just become hunter-gatherers again, but we wanted to spice things up. We needed to provide stimulation. We wanted to provide play in our food. And so herbs and spices made that possible. We could make bland foods more flavorable again, even varied. And this is very much the, the luxury of an agrarian society, right? right. Because if you have um, <clears throat> a food source that is predictable or fairly so, then you have a little bit more leisure time on your hands or, or even just time to focus on what you're eating and what it's tasting like as opposed to just putting something in your yeah. mouth. Yeah, it becomes less about uh, I must find something today, be it squirrel or dandelion, and more like, hmm, well, it's going to be corn again because that's all there is right now. But uh, but what can I do to it? Could I perhaps add some dandelion or squirrel to that corn and uh, sweeten the deal? So we don't have that that one piece of information that says, ah, and that is, here's the year when humans began using spices, right? right. All we can do is look at uh, anthropology and try to, in some, in some bits of archaeology, and try to piece together when humans began to really use spices in earnest. Yeah, and, you know, there's some of the evidence, uh, which we're about to look at here, uh, you know, shows that, that maybe we were even using spices uh, to varying degrees uh, before we settled down into that agrarian lifestyle. Because obviously, if you're a hunter-gatherer, you're going around, you're trying different things, you're discovering maybe that some things are rather difficult uh, to to, uh, to consume on their own, but if, com- co- but if uh, combined with another element, uh, they might become a little more palatable. Uh, according to a 2013 study published in the journal uh, PLOS1, ancient European hunter-gatherers were using garlic mustard seeds to give their foods a peppery kick as far back as 6,000 years ago. University of York archaeologist Oliver Craig and his team discovered microscopic specks of plant-based cilia on fire-scorched pottery shards collected from three campsites in north-central Europe. Now, the evidence uh, dated back to between... uh, 5,800 and 6,150 years ago, uh, the garlic mustard plant, also known as Jack by the Hedge, this would have been a pungent, peppery-tasting black seed 
but but it has no nutritional value. Mm-hmm. So clearly, this is something you, you would you would only add if you wanted to uh, toy with the flavor of a thing. So, in this particular study, the researchers argue that their evidence quote suggests a much greater antiquity to the spicing of foods than is evident in the uh, macrofossil record and challenges the view that plants were exploited by hunter-gatherers and early agriculturists solely for energy requirements rather than for taste. Now, it's worth noting that this was a locally available spice, and it's uncertain uh, if the practice of using it was derived from contact with old-world farmers uh, people who are already engaged in, in the in, in the agrarian lifestyle style in the New East, or if they developed it locally. So the bottom line here is that our hunter-gatherer ways paved the way for spice. We had the nose for it, and in all likelihood, our wandering ways gave us all the knowledge we needed to ultimately make that uh, that BCE spiced pumpkin latte uh, that we all craved. What was the residue was found in the crockery, right? Yes. Yeah. Now, what's really important about that is that the residue was found in the the crockery there. Right. So that gives us a really good hint, like, hey, this was probably used in the actual cooking. Now, Dr. Haley Saul, who led the study from the University of York, um, it, which looked at that crockery, said that there's a cave in Israel where coriander has been found, and that's dated to around 23,000 years ago. But you can't with certainty look at that coriander and say it was used in cooking because there's no evidence to support that. It could have used, been used as some, some sort of medicinal um, material or it could have been used in cooking or for even decoration. Yeah, indeed, because central to this is just the, the idea that as, as we, we were going around hunting and gathering, trying different things, uh, discovering the properties of different plants, mm-hmm. uh, we 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 ended up cataloging them at least as part of our our oral history. We knew what things you should not eat because they would kill you. We learned what things were were good eats, and then we uh, initially and then we eventually learned what things could be combined in small amounts to adjust the flavor or perhaps uh, serve as some sort of uh, uh, early medicine. Indeed, and in the process, we've kind of figured out. What exactly constitutes a spice in the first place? Indeed. Uh, yeah, what are we talking about when we talk about a spice? Uh, well, uh, spice is a culinary term. It's not a botanical category, and it does not refer to a specific kind of plant or plant part. Uh, spices come from various woody shrubs and vines, trees, roots, seeds, fruits, flowers, you name it. Um, cookbooks generally distinguish between seasonings, those are spices used in food preparation and condiments. Those are spices added after food is served, uh, but they tend not to uh, differentiate between herbs and spices. But when you get down to it, um, herbs are defined botanically as plants that do that don't develop woody persistent tissue, mm-hmm. and they're usually called in uh, as a, as a fresh ingredient, whereas uh, spices are usually dried in a little bottle, etc. Right, and spices are unique in that they have a certain physical uh, response to the human body. When you eat them, there are compounds in spicy foods that activate sensory neurons called polymodal nociceptors, which are found all over the body, but also inside of your mouth and your nose. So these same receptors are activated by extreme heat. That's why if you chomp down on, say, like a scotch bonnet, your brain screams fire, right? And your body follows suit. And then you begin to sweat and your heart starts to beat faster and faster. And in a sense, this is that flight or fight reaction that we have heard so much about. Um, that is what is so unique about spices that it's got those compounds. 
Now, not all of these spices are created equal, especially when you're looking at different kinds of chili peppers. Um, the difference lies in the type of compounds and the capsaicin. Now, the capsaicin and black pepper and chili pepper are made up of larger, heavier molecules called alkylamides, which mostly stay in your mouth. But if you have something like mustard, uh, horseradish, or wasabi, this is a good example, mm. uh, you, those are smaller compounds. And uh, those are called thiocyanates, and they can float up into the sinuses. Ah, yes. And that is why if you take like some sort of wasabi-encrusted, I don't know, soy nut or something, pop it in your mouth, it just feels like your nose is on fire. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's one of the things I love about uh, about sushi uh, is, is when you have uh, some of that wasabi with the sushi and then uh, you accidentally use a little too much mm-hmm. and it comes as a surprise. And then because suddenly you, you, you it's up in your sinuses and it, yeah. it, it almost just locks down your system for a second. And, you, and maybe even for just a, a half a second, you think, oh, I think I'm going to die. Uh, something <laughs> something bad yeah. has happened to my body, and then you kind of come down from that the high of that spice. And we'll talk a little bit more about the high of that spice in a moment. Uh, but we should mention the Scoville scale. Probably have heard that before when you've looked at Tabasco sauces or competitions. This measures how much capsaicin content can be diluted before the heat can no longer be detected by the human tongue. Um, so green peppers they get a zero units on the Scoville scale. Tabasco sauce gets about 1,200 to 2,400 Scoville units. Mm-hmm. And two of the hottest peppers, Trinidad Maruga Scorpion <laughs> and Carolina Reaper. Those Oops. sound pretty intense. Right, yep. terrifying. They come in at 1.5 million to 2 million Scoville units. Now, that's half as potent as actual like pepper spray. Wow. Which is about 3 to 4 million. Well, uh, hey, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will uh, get into some more on the subject of spices, including why plants produce spice to begin with. All right, we're back. So why do plants want to kill us? Uh, well, I mean, that's that's kind of uh, the idea here. I mean, it's, it, the, the quote from Harold McGee that he, uh, he often uh, throws out is that flavorings are chemical weapons, uh, but we've uh, we've learned to hijack them. We were, you were talking about the Scoville scale, and that's really key to all this, because generally with spices, a little always goes a long way. You try eating any kind of a raw spice or, or an herb, and you generally find the flavor of it uh, extremely overpowering. Mm-hmm. You, you know, oregano, vanilla bean, uh, nutmeg, uh, m- most of this stuff, if you're just taking it just straight up, it's going to be uh, it's going to be irritating. It's going to be numbing. It's going to make you physically ill because these are defensive aspects of the plant. This is the plant trying to tell other organisms and, and also um, uh, not only just uh, plant eating organisms, but even uh, you know um, bacteria mm-hmm. saying, "Do not eat me. I am dangerous. If you if you if you bite of me, even if you smell of me too much, uh, it's going to hurt." But humans. Uh, I have learned over time that, well, I can take a little bit of the, the harmful substance, mm-hmm. and if I dilute it, if I, I, can, I can actually turn it into a form that I can consume. So, in other words, for the plants, it's a kind of self-producing pesticide yeah. for itself to protect itself. And we large organisms come along, and we, we uh, rip off scotch bonnet, use a little <laughs> bit, usually, and uh, we're not going to die from it, right? Yeah. 
just a call back to our episode on nutmeg, uh, if you swallow about two tablespoons of ground nutmeg, and you most certainly should not, uh, you could suffer hallucinations, nausea, heart palpitations, uh, rapid heartbeat, rushing blood, the feeling that you're going to die. Uh, at least one death has been reported. Mm-hmm. And that's just nutmeg. You can buy it off the shelf at the local store. Uh, it's in your, it may be in your cabinet right now. And, and this is kind of the case with a, with a, with a number of spices, just about any spice. If you take enough of it, you're going to get sick. It's, it's going to have a, a dire effect on your body. Which makes you wonder, why do we consume these in the first place, right? I mean, indeed, it, you, you, you sort of put yourself in the head of the, our ancient hunter, uh, gatherer ancestors and try to imagine them, you know, sampling a, a pepper for the first time mm-hmm. and just, you know, falling over and gagging. And then, and instead of thinking, I'll never touch that again, they think, I bet I could do something with that. You know, just the, the, the early chemist, uh, in, in, in human civilization who, who said there's, there's something potent there and maybe I can use that potency to my advantage. Well, especially if you look at food as a kind of medicine, right? Because we know here that it can have antimicrobial properties. This is from John Roach, writing for National Geographic. He says, Paul Sherman, a professor of neurobiology and behavior at Cornell University in Ithaca, New York, says that uh, his research shows that people in warmer regions of the world benefit from eating spicier foods because spices are natural antimicrobials. So you have more food-borne pathogens and parasites in warmer climates. So in this sense, spices can kill or inhibit their growth. Yeah, I mean the basic idea here is you're in a you're in this hotter climate. There's a there's a a richer uh, microbial world trying to kill you potentially, uh, yeah. and so you have taken the chemical weapons of a plant and are using that to defend your food from uh, those attackers. Yeah, John Roach says that when uh, people in a country like Thailand, for instance, eat a spicy meal, they are much less likely to spend the next day with a bout of diarrhea than people in that region who eat bland foods. So there's definitely an advantage to eating the spicier foods. And for Paul Sherman's part, to prove his hypothesis about the climate-dependent evolution of spicy foods, he and his colleagues compared recipes for more than 4,000 meat dishes and 1,000 vegetarian dishes among 36 countries, as predicted, countries with the warmest climates have the spiciest food. And particularly with those meat dishes, you see uh, much more higher levels of spice being used in those. Yeah, I mean, I instantly think of, of Thai cooking because with, with Thai cooking, obviously, you have a hot environment. You have a lot of spices thrown into the meat. And additionally, the meat is cooked at a, uh, generally at a really high temperature to boot. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, you know, one of the reasons that uh, it's often advised that you're, you're generally okay with uh, with any kind of street food in Thailand, if you you know if you see it cooked before you, because the temperature is high, and then you have the spices in there as well. Yeah, and again, you've got meat in a hot climate, which equals more pathogens, more parasites. Right. So pour on the spices. Yeah, and if you look at all this from uh, you know a Darwinian uh, standpoint, you can see how that kind of culinary tradition, those who uh, who hold that up, those are going to be the survivors, right? So that's kind of the evolutionary model here. Those who enjoyed the spice, those who enjoyed the, the style of cooking, those are the people that survived in these uh, in these environments. Now, that's not to say there are not alternative hypotheses to consider. Mm-hmm. Um, one alternative hypothesis is uh, is uh, is that simply uh, hot climates you see a, a preference for spicy foods because these increase uh, perspiration and help cool the body. And so, we already know that right, your body is interpreting this as heat. Right. So again, think to our, think to that, uh, the, 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 to your husband, to uh, anybody you know who's uh, who's into to eating the spicy food and then sweating profusely. Uh, the sweat is, of course, cooling their body. So 
you could argue that when they when they uh, when they have something really spicy, they're simply uh, uh, tinkering with their body's cooling system. Indeed. Uh, another uh, idea here, another hypothesis, is that spices uh, merely signify wealth and social status. And this gets into, uh, again, some of what we discussed about the way that spices have influenced um, um, world politics and, uh, and certainly the uh, trade around the world. Uh, so spices become uh, uh, something of a, of, a, of, a, of a status symbol, something of a, of a luxury. And uh, therefore, having a lot of spices at your disposal, being able to eat well-spiced food is simply... Uh, living the high life. I think it indicates skill level, too. Oh, indeed, yeah. Yeah, you could easily see that being uh, something that plays into mate selection, right? Uh, another, All you chefs out there just nodding your head. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and I say that as someone who uh, screwed up making uh, macaroni and cheese over the weekend. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I accidentally put the cheese and the um, and the milk into the boiling water with the noodles. It was quite embarrassing. Oh, yeah. wow. You were just distracted, I think. I was. There, I, like... It was just me and uh, the boy and the cat, and the boy and the cat were both in the kitchen with me trying uh-huh. to tell me things at the same time. But, uh, you know, I just ended up, it just ended up being buttered noodles, and the, the child loved it. So, And as we have already mentioned before in our research, that cats can mimic that kind of um, infant-like cry. Yes. Like, they can game that. Uh, so when you hear your, your cat whining for food, and my cat does it all the time, it just puts me on, on needles. I just can't stand <laughs> it, especially when my kid is yakking at me. So I hear you. Okay. Well, uh, another alternate hypothesis to consider is that the health uh, benefits of spice uh, aid digestion, mm-hmm. modulate uh, energy metabolism, and even help uh, postpone some uh, degenerative diseases. And uh, indeed, there are a number of examples we can call out to. Uh, there have just been countless studies over the years and continue to be more and more studies about different spices, what their health benefits mm-hmm. uh, happen to be. And we're certainly not going to go through all of those. Uh, if you go back to our nutmeg episode, we discussed nutmeg a bit. But uh, just to highlight a couple here, uh, vanilla uh, has uh, there have been numerous studies that have demonstrated that uh, vanillin, the major component of vanilla, has anti carcinogenic properties. Um in studies at Children's Hospital in Philadelphia, a vanillin-derived drug on mice uh, was able to significantly reduce uh, the percentage of sickled cells, uh, and uh, human studies are apparently in the work on that. If you look to black pepper, just straight-up black pepper, well, um, in a study in the Journal of the American College of Nu- Nutrition, gastroenterologists found that 1.5 grams of black pepper uh, sped up the time it takes for food to move all the way through the GI tract, and in animal studies on lung cancer, uh, pepperine changed the level of several enzymes, producing an anti-tumor effect. Uh, black pepper extracts added to the diet of mice with breast cancer increased lifespan by 65%. I, I could go on even just about pepper. There are so many studies about its health benefits. Now, that's all, that's all great and well. Yeah. But what about those people who seem to be seeking it out? And I'm not talking about people in warmer climates. I'm talking about, say, some, some guy or gal in Norway. Right, <laughs> which you would have less pathogens, right, and less rotting food. Mm-hmm. Um, You're talking about a guy in the dead of winter uh-huh. who goes to the light. Or a gal. Or a gal, yeah. Both. Yeah. Let's yeah. do both of them. Yeah, let's do both. Guy and a gal that go to, uh, say, a, a Thai or a Mexican restaurant mm-hmm. in the dead of winter, and they say, give it to me. Give me the spiciest you can do. Make it Thai spicy. Make it Mexican spicy. Just- They're like Trinidad, Trinidad Maruga. Scorpion, please. Yes, I challenge you to to hurt me with your food. Yeah, I want the Carolina Reaper, and I want it now. Researchers at Penn State University 
they investigated the link between personality traits and affinity for spicy food, and they found that sensation seekers hmm. or people who enjoy the thrills of roller coasters, gambling, and meeting new people were generally more enthusiastic about spicier dishes. And hmm. we have talked about that novelty gene before. Yeah, I mean, you tend to associate uh, really spicy food with adventurous eating, with going outside of your... Uh, your, your 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 comfort zone even to try something new something spicy which would tie into the reward system of the brain right ah. um, now I don't I feel like this isn't as clear-cut as junk food or you know salt or fat things that we eat sometimes in junk food that make our brain go ding 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 mm-hmm. um, that being said there is a euphoric sense that a person gets so it would make sense that if they ate something that was really hot they might really say play off of that feeling. And in a series of experiments, Sung Gong Kim, who is a psychiatry professor from Busan National University in uh, South Korea, found what might be a possible link between spicy food and alcohol. Because, again, both of them will stimulate the brain's reward systems. And he found, Professor Kim found, that not only are people who are dependent on alcohol more likely to enjoy eating spicy food, but that medication to treat alcohol problems is more effective in people who prefer spice. So what he did is um, he gave two groups of drinkers a drug called naltrexone, which blocks the opioid reward system. And he found it was effective in the people who preferred spicy food, but not in the other group. Now, again, this is just one study, but it's, it's interesting to try to look at why some people really do go after that spice so voraciously. Yeah, and, and they, they they do go after it with a, with a passion that is often just perplexing uh, to anyone who doesn't share that uh, that love of the spice. Now, there's another alternate uh, hypothesis here, and it's kind of a boring one because uh, this one would be that uh, there's no benefit. The idea that uh, patterns of spice use arise because people just like to take advantage of whatever, uh, you know, sweet or cool smelling plants are available to improve the, the the taste of their food. I think it kind of falls in that column of benign violation theory. And we've yeah. talked about this in terms of humor. Like why are some things funny? Because they're they're just threatening enough to be edgy, but they're benign. There's really no actual threat there. Yeah, I mean I can definitely get that uh, again just thinking back to the the wasabi punch mm-hmm. you can get uh, when you when you're having sushi. Uh, because it it you, I never actually feel like I'm going to die, but it sets off it sets off all the alarms in my body uh, for just a second, and then there's that euphoric come down from uh, from from the spice. The I survived come down. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. It, it's kind of uh, yeah, I, I could see see that uh, that hypothesis uh, ringing true. Now, of course, in all likelihood, um, we're talking about a combination of multiple factors in mm-hmm. in, in in terms of uh, human uh, use of spices. Uh, we craved uh, the flavor, and the flavor brought with it health benefits, and and where those health benefits provided a survival advantage, spice culture flourished, um, and so we we end up in this rich and spiced uh, age that we live in today. I mean, really, an unprecedented uh, availability of spice in our lives. Yeah, remember that next time you reach for nutmeg. Yeah, know? indeed. Four hundred years ago, not so easy. You know, interesting fact: after we did our nutmeg episode. Yeah. I have put nutmeg uh, on my smoothie every morning, ever since. Yeah. I, well, maybe this may be not an interesting tidbit. It's kind of a boring story, actually, but uh, but just uh, just a, an example of how a podcast changed uh, my life in a very small way. 
Well, there you go. And I was just thinking about this little factoid the other day. You know, Jamie Oliver, the chef. Yes. He admitted that he, uh, because he could not exact corporal punishment upon his teenager, uh, after she was really sassy to him, that she, he cut up an apple for her and then rubbed it with scotch bonnet. Oh. And gave it to he, her. So he, he couldn't do anything to her except use chemical weapons against her. Yes. Body. And I thought, yeah, indeed, it can be a weapon. Huh. What's your, what's your favorite spice? What's, what's one of, one of your, cause we can't just say, oh, I only like this one, but, but what comes to mind mm. is a spice you really like to use or, or I taste? really like clove and cinnamon. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm, I guess I am more of a mild, I'm not, I guess I'm more of a warm doucher. A warm doucher? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's the German for someone who just wants to take a warm shower. Never a hot or cold one. Oh, is that one of those words that only exist in German, but not in English? Yeah. Okay. You? Uh, I really like paprika. I mean, I like a lot of different spices, but, I, and I don't cook a lot, but when I do cook, I often do like veggie bake things where you just, you know, chop up a bunch of uh, veggies, uh, sweet potatoes and what have you, and toss them with some oil and salt and pepper, and then I throw in a little paprika. And, uh, yeah, I love that. That sounds delicious. All right, so there you have it. Um, I'm sure everyone has some feedback on spices. Uh, if there's anyone out there who doesn't like spices at all, I, I would I would love to hear why. I would love a, a good explanation uh, on, on that point. Uh, you're not in trouble, but we would like more just more insight on, on how how your your brain and your body works. Um, as always, check out more podcast episodes, more blog posts, um, more videos, links to social media on our webpage. That's stufftoblowyourmind.com. Uh, check out the landing page there for this episode. We'll include uh, links to other episodes we've done, such as that Nutmeg episode we mentioned, uh, as well as some links out to some, some resources uh, outside our website that you might find interesting. And if you have any thoughts on this episode or any others, you can always drop us a line by emailing us at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Thank you.